Hello and welcome to another episode of the ABC Music Talk podcast. And in this episode, I'll be introducing the first of a new category called Current Affairs, which I hope is fairly self-explanatory. But in essence, I'll be pulling out news stories that I find interesting, I perhaps have a different point of view on, or I just want to provide some additional thoughts around. Now, for this episode, the news story that I was uh, that I wanted to talk about was it had the, the the title or headline. Online piracy is declining among young users. Now, I got this from the uh, the, the online publication and, and media company CMU, the Complete Music Update. They do a fantastic daily email that I recommend that you uh, you, uh, you subscribe to and tune into. Uh, and if you want to find them, uh, then the best place to start is with their Twitter handle, and their, uh, which is at CMU. So head over to Twitter and have a little look, and uh, and you'll get all the links that you need there. I'll also be providing links in the in the, in the notes to, to this episode. So this headline was based on a report that was released about by the European Union Intellectual Property Office uh, and it, the title of the report was the 2019 Intellectual Property and Youth Scoreboard. Now it caught my attention as a, as a headline because as I began my career the industry was hit by online piracy. So I wanted to mention it not only to share some facts uh, from it uh, and you know, talk about the, the, the article itself as much as the report from CMU, uh, but talk also about the migration of music consumption online, which is essentially at the heart of this topic around piracy. So let's start with some, some facts that set the scene. So the report focuses on 15 to 24 year olds, so young people. Uh, it's uh, an update from the inaugural 2016 report, so it has some context in terms of uh, you know, how things are changing. And in short, uh, online piracy among young internet users uh, continues to decline as legal music, video and gaming platforms become the primary sources of entertainment. So, from the, so a few more facts. So, for, uh, 28 countries in the EU, uh, the, so this is total consumption. Of, of, of entertainment online and of that sample size of the, the 15 to 24 year olds 97% of them stream or download music which is pretty much everybody 94% get TV series and movies again pretty much everybody 92% get their games online again pretty much everybody 82% get education online again uh, pretty high uh, I know the schools have been pushing this in particular uh, and then it starts to decline a little bit, but so 79% get other TV and sports online, uh, 59% get their newspapers and, and magazine, you know, websites online, um, and uh, and 56% get ebooks. Uh, now, what's interesting about this activity, this online uh, consumption, is that a third access their entertainment illegally. Now, the good news is that though that. Uh, that's down 5% since 2000, 2016. Um, although, for, for me at least, in the music industry, what was encouraging was that music actually over-indexes on that, and, and actually music was down 17% uh, since the 2016 report. So that's, you know, sort of hats off to the to the, the music and tech uh, companies for creating a good environment for uh, for music consumers and music lovers, um, or compelling services that they're, they're now using. But it's it, and this this is an interesting stat as well. Thirty three percent of that third, right? So a third access illegally, and thirty three percent, so another third, uh, said that they did so unintentionally, which is perhaps to those that have you know spent some time, you know, consuming music for or, or movie, movies or whatever, you know, quite a while. 
you just kind of think, how, how the hell are you unintentionally uh, consuming it illegally? Now, in the early days, uh, you know, the, the, the problem was that the search engines were returning a lot of the illegal places. So you'd search for your favourite artist or album and you'd get back, you know, the Pirate Bay or all of MP3 or, or whatever it was. So, and, and music suffered greatly from that. Um, now, I, I was lucky enough to see the tail end of the CD era, you know, working at Sony in London. I was making, uh, com- I was licensing for, for compilation albums, um, which were, you know, CDs. Uh, I was also product managing albums. And again, the, the, the output was uh, was CDs. But around the time that I started, downloading was considered to be the death of the industry. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, really, it was just being enabled because there were faster connections and better and cheaper hardware, so more people were going online. But, you know, th- this kind of concept, so death of the music industry. Now, at my graduation uh, from, the, uh, uh, from the, 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 the university degree that I did, which I've mentioned in previous episodes, music industry management, we were lucky enough to have uh, the uh, the late uh, Morris Oberstein come and um, give the sort of keynote. Now, he was president of uh, CBS, which is a Sony company, and, and Polygram. And he gave a speech about these new threats to the music industry. Um, and a little background on Morris. Uh, he uh, uh, began his career in the 60s in America, and he, he put out uh, a posthumous album of JFK speeches, which sold four million in units in one month, which was at the time the fastest selling EP in the world, which you know is pretty impressive. Um, so anyway, but but, but you know, go go and research him. Uh, you know, his, a fascinating career he had. Uh, so br- but briefly, his speech talked about um, his time during the sixties and the nineties, um, and in the music industry, and and the pattern over the years of proclaiming the death of the music industry. Now, if you think you know the movement from vinyl to cassette. Um, in fact, CBS had a failed attempt to stop Amstrad selling home recording equipment, and, and in particular, this kind of idea of tape-to-tape capabilities was you know, really at the heart of it. You know, later on, that was CD ripping, um, you know, which was really the kind of the first time that digi- you know, mass digitization of music you know, into files occurred. Now, this was a, an offline activity. Uh, in fact, the, the RIAA, the Recording Industry Association of America, tried to stop uh, Diamond Multimedia selling their Rio MP3 players. Uh, now, all of this activity actually sat in, in the, the setting of um, Napster coming into being. So this this you know, probably the most famous, I'd, I'd argue, you know, peer-to-peer file-sharing service. So this is now online, right? So we've had the digitization, we've had the CD ripping, and now this this is all now starting to, to, to go online. Um uh, and you know this so file sharing became a huge problem because now you're looking at mass distribution instead of just local uh illegal copies being made you know it's it's gone from a micro to to a huge problem but ultimately his message from this speech was that there will always be a new threat to the music industry and i'll i'll you know, share some of my thoughts um later on about what potentially the new threats are but going back to the report so the, the online uh, music piracy issue amongst my peers at, at, at my time coming in, in, in into the industry, which was sort of 2003-ish, was always about the the lack of good solutions for consumers. And, and that's what we talked about. You know, we, we you know, recognized the fact that it was kind of difficult to use some of the, the platforms that were available at the time. You know, people had internet. They could share stuff like music, you know, quite easily. I mean, you know, newspapers, movies, books, games, etc. It was all kind of part of the same sort of dialogue. But in particular, I think the music industry, you know, bore the brunt of it. In part, 
due to the file size, but also the, the inter interoperable nature of the MP3 file format was really a catalyst to, to mass uh, you know, copying and sharing uh, online. A part of what held the, the industry back was, was not listening to what the consumer wanted. It, so again, that, that's the sort of thing that you know, my peers and I, we, we talked about. In particular, the issue uh, many of us, uh, you know, more enlightened people, you know, felt at the time was this insistence of the use of DRM or digital rights management. It was a major topic of conversation at the time. That the main issue being that the lack of movability of files that had, that it had implemented. You know, the the digital rights management aspects were designed to allow rights holders control of how their copyrights were consumed. Uh, you know, the, the problem, of course, was that people were used to letting their friends borrow their vinyl cassettes cds so so limiting that activity was was unusual you know it didn't really sort of sit with how people had had consumed uh their their, their music and interacted with their their collections and in essence it was complicating this adoption process of of, of online of, of of our online music consumption so um so DRM became a problem and the industry for many years just wouldn't get past it as they they couldn't envisage a solution to file sharing but those consuming music online couldn't get to grips with drm it just it was it was too much of a restriction given that the files and in part thanks to the portability of hard drives and laptops but of course digital transfer were, were highly movable more movable than ever before you know and you know look we've had other recent threats like stream ripping but but ultimately it's the same piracy issue people you know getting copyrighted material outside of the license framework now what i've always found interesting about this whole uh, this is a mild sidebar but what i've always found interesting about this whole uh, development relating to drm is how that when tech companies introduce subscription um you know and ad funded opportunities around around uh, you know streaming uh, for, you know for the record industry no one seemed to notice that the exact same movability restrictions uh, you know, were being introduced again to the consumer. If you think about it, the, the complete lack of movability of being able to stream a track that is on Apple via your Spotify player, well, it's quite apparent. Think about it from the point of view of perhaps exclusive content that a DSP might have. You know, if you think about Tidal's launch, that was almost you know that was kind of one of their big mantras it was you know we're going to have all of this this music from your favorite artists that you can only be accessed through tidal so you couldn't take a tidal stream and play it on your apple player it just wouldn't have worked now of course the reality is that the app stores happened right and, and not just on phones or tablets or computers but into the living room you know via tvs or speaker systems through smart devices and of course extends into cars so the movability issue changed which is what was needed in short the, the creation of good services for consumers right and so you know th there's been a, a rocky marriage between tech companies and the music industry but yeah you know, i guess it's kind of like most relationships so where are we now the the important thing about the report is that it focuses on young people which is important yeah i mean personally you know my kids don't ever think about piracy you know one one is younger than the, the, the sample by about half a decade. So um, yeah, perhaps that's just even more encouraging, right? To, it follows a trend. In fact, the only time that they ever get close uh, is when actually a licensing restriction causes them to question the usability of, of the content platform. I mean, you know, they have YouTube and by nature of user-generated content, everything is available. Yeah, that's what they've grown up with. Yeah, I remember asking my daughter years ago if she wanted me to buy her an album and the response was, why it's on youtube um 
an, an example of licensing restrictions was trying to get my daughter to use um, the, uh, the the Amazon's bundled subscription service, uh, which just comes with their, their normal Prime subscription. It's a UK thing, uh, I think, in a few other countries as well. Um, but it, but it has this six month window before new releases appear. Uh, I mean, they, they have a, a, a premium version, an unlimited version. But you know, again, I was trying to explain this to my daughter. Yeah, you know, she was like seven or seven or eight at the time, I think. Uh, and I, I I remember thinking as I was talking, I just sounded crazy. Like you know, this is somebody who has YouTube, and you know, basically herein lies the problem, right? So I mentioned earlier that I sort of share some thoughts around new threats. Um, Perhaps it won't be, uh, you know, the new threats won't be as simple as copying illegally, which has kind of been, you know, the, the ongoing problem up until now. Um, but perhaps the threat to the industry will take a new form, you know. Uh, but I, my, my, my guess is that whatever threats come along, they will always stay close to the issue of respecting the value of music, you know, whether that is the consumer or new participants to the industry. I'm kind of mentioning tech companies really at this point. So... You know, I know that there's a dominance by, you know, a few tech giants who operate not only in music, but in many, if not all of the other verticals of online entertainment, as, as mentioned in the report. Subscriptions, potentially, therefore, that bundle multiple asset classes into one and therefore dilute a more premium price point as it is shared across more industries could be an issue. You know, what if music subscriptions are, say, part of a utility bill? along with other entertainment like uh, like, like Sky or Virgin subscriptions. Um, so and for those of you not in the UK, that's, uh, that's sort of two of the larger internet and TV providers that we have here. Um, in fact, we've already seen ver versions of this where discounts are given by these companies uh, you know, as loss leaders to gain more customers for their core products. So in fact, the only thing standing in the way of, of, of this dilution is the ability for the record industry to maintain control over the licensing landscape. So looking at history, they've actually continually lost that control in, in all of the past threats, kind of only to win it back because other factors changed as opposed to anything that they actually did. So it remains a precarious situation for the industry who are, quite honestly, currently breathing a collective sigh of relief as revenues are going back up, more investment is going into artist development and previously unapproachable or unmonetizable markets are available. And a lot of that actually is masking what was the normal kind of fallback position of, you know, launch a new format and resell old records, creating revenue to invest in new talent. So, you know, selling the same albums to the same customers. I mean, I've done that. Uh, you know, I bought something on vinyl, then I bought it again on CD. I then bought it again on mini disc. For those of you who remember that, um, I then downloaded it and bought it as a download. Now it's part of a subscription service. So I'm, I'm now in, in streaming and, and I'm now continually paying for it. You know, I'm looking at you, Pink Floyd, for that uh, and others. Um, another threat uh, could be a fractured listening experience. You know, the, these threats are always, always start with a, a negative impact on the audience. So, you know, the idea of breaking apart that listening experience, making it harder and, and, and more fractious, uh, you know, if you think about it, similar to what we're seeing um, in TV and film, where the tech platforms like Netflix, Apple, and Amazon are controlling exclusive content, requiring multiple subscriptions. You know, in essence, almost like reintroducing kind of the format wars. You know, VHS or Beta, uh, CD or Laserdisc. Right? I mean, we've had a few of them over the years. Um, you know, think about it, like some TVs will only add you know, particular apps, or you can only link certain streaming services with a particular speaker brand. You know, that sort of thing, uh, you know, could create a very annoyed 
customer and you know drive drive them towards you know, grey or black markets. I mean, in some ways, we've seen you know some of this happening where where Spotify, you know, made an attempt, uh, you know, signing artists directly and therefore creating exclusive content. You know, Apple have been doing the same thing. But you know, for now, uh, things are improving, uh, albeit you know we still have a way to go. But it's encouraging. Um, you know, and the original identification of you know make good services still stands. I think adding family plans has been a great way of helping adjust the mindset along with smart speakers, app stores and ad funded developments, you know, all of which have aided this adoption issue that we were originally facing as an industry. Uh, What's great now is also to watch the industry try and figure out how to um, improve those services through perhaps better audio quality or better liner notes. Um, Also, I, I think more enlightened and experimental licensing to, to companies like Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or Triller, which are the current sort of flavor of the month. Um, or indeed, perhaps it's the like hardware integration. So we've talked about smart speakers before, but, uh, and actually I, I helped this company, Beatport, uh, you know, get their new streaming service for with DJ hardware ready for launch. Um, I mean, all of these things, you know, will continue to erode the reason for people to, to pirate. And for regular listeners, you, you'll remember my comment, my sort of statement, something I live by. And, and this is the, the only two things that are important in the music industry are the artist and the audience. Anything else only enhances that relationship or it gets in the way. So there's a reason piracy exists and it's always because something was getting in the way. So... That concludes this episode. Thank you for listening. Um, I, as ever, I welcome all feedback, comments, um, suggestions for future shows. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Alex Branson. Uh, you can also find me through my website, which is www.abcmusic.co. There's a contacts page on there. Um, and also don't forget, check out the incredible CMU. Again, that's at CMU on Twitter who provided the the news story that was the inspiration for this episode. So thank you again for listening, uh, and I'll see you on the next episode.